0: Welcome to the Dirt Reporters Podcast for the week of November 9th. I'm d Swab, Derek Kessinger, joined, as always, with the editorial staff of Kevin Kovac, Robert Holman, and Kyle McFadden. Congrats to JD on winning 25K. I mean, he's looking like he's a dominant factor in force still, even after struggling the first two nights, if you consider a struggle for uh, Superman Jonathan Davenport. But Kovac, we had a good time in Charlotte at the world finals four day show what did you think of the format did it stand out to you did you like it um i thought it was great we got a night off you got to hang out and uh what did you watch what was your uh, thing you watched on friday you had a, you know you got a little sleepy there and you started watching uh, curb the enthusiasm uh, yeah
1: curb your enthusiasm Marathon on was on there on hbo and i got back to the hotel room and i'm like yeah like i i just kept watching the next one and next thing you know uh the Friday races were just about over. I'm like, eh, I'll just go pick up D. Suave later on from the wherever he's out gallivanting around like with his uh with his well, uh, posse, you know, with Stooler, yeah. Who could have given you a ride home. He said he would have, you know. But that's a dead <laughs> that player been, right I, there. But, but I also told him, I don't know, you probably wouldn't have that at that point. It was late at night, and you would have heard some stories from D. Suave at that point, you know. So uh But it was but a anyway. nice uh,
0: refreshing thing to uh you know, we got a night off. You could do whatever you wanted. If you want to go to the race, you could. You could go sightseeing, you know, in the Charlotte area or just hang out and uh, get some rest. So what do you think of the format?
1: Well, I I think that uh, that was nice. That was a good deal. Uh, I mean, four days in a row at a racetrack, especially in November, once you've gone through this entire season, it's one thing to be, you know, at East Bay for six days or uh, Volusia for six days in the, in the, you know, in, oh, on the off season, you know, after you've had a little bit of time off, but, um, I mean, everybody's more gung-ho ready to go. You got more, a little more energy, I think. And, uh, but then when you go four days, I mean, that would have been really rough. I mean, three days at the world finals for the last few years, I mean, for, for the entire time of it, uh, that Thursday time trial day, two rounds of time trials for late miles and sprints and modified, uh, heat races. That was, that was long. There were some long, just dry, I mean not, not much excitement there. Uh, so I think making two, you know, three days of preliminaries with two divisions each day, and each division gets a day off, that was pretty, that, that was a good solution, I think, to, um, you know, pare down this program a little bit and provide more excitement, a little more action, rather than just a qualifying night. And then, Uh, And then Saturday with all three divisions actually kind of of builds to that Saturday where all three divisions for the first time all week will uh, uh, come together. And and I think you saw like with the crowds, the crowds weren't as big on Wednesday and Thursday as they normally been for the weekend races at the World Finals. I mean, I think that was noticeable in the stands. It was still massive. I mean, still a lot of people up there, but not just every seat. Basically filled uh, at Charlotte like you do like for the weekend races and that did build to that. Uh, I mean, Saturday was, you know, I mean, that, <laughs> I don't that was absolutely packed. I think everybody would agree there was that's was one of the biggest crowds you'll see, you know, other than probably Eldora maybe the dome or something all year long for dirt late model racing. So that was a pretty good uh, site and there's people everywhere. I mean, that Charlotte was everywhere but that Alf day. I think it ever it recharged everybody pretty nicely for uh, the Saturday show. I, um, I'm, I'm sure some people were, you know, some people were uh, you know, wondering how it would work out some of the teams, some of the crews, but I think they all enjoyed it. And then there it didn't seem like people, especially the early start on Saturday, three o'clock, they started instead of five. Uh, it it seemed like everyone was a little bit more ready to
2: go.
0: Yeah, and Saturday there was a lot of racing, a lot of laps uh, on the track, which we see that in the normal circumstances of the World Finals. I guess you would just had the big block B mains, but all in all, it was still a still a good time. I think it's kind of cool that if you went back to the races, and which I did on Friday, you got to kind of see, sit back and watch how uh, you know sprint car teams and big block teams how they like, kind of go throughout their day you know, getting ready for the races and kind of like their formats and stuff like that because, you know, you race against them sometimes with, when you're dialed in on the late models, at least on my end, you really don't pay attention to like the little details that both teams, series directors, and all that go through. So that was pretty cool to see. Um, I thought the racing on the R-Off day was awesome. So got to hang out at the SRI booth there on the back stretch. They were kind enough to, you know, give me, a, give me another tent. So that was pretty cool. But, yeah, I, th- I think it worked out pretty well. Uh, Kyle, do you think this is something they could – you know, continue moving forward. Make this a four-day extravaganza, or you know, maybe in your eyes they
3: can just condense it back to three again. I really enjoyed the four-day format. I uh, after being at the World Finals last year, I was at the World Finals last year. That was my only World Finals that I had experienced under the previous of uh, format. You know, where the hot laps and qualifying that took place on Thursday, but um, after experiencing that and then also taking in the the revamp 4-day format, you know, I really um enjoy just just how they uh reimagined uh the world finals this year and and hopefully for years to come too. And um I like the idea that they split up the divisions uh to a piece on on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday and um also, like the fan fest too, that they added in between, and so you know, for a chance for uh, these drivers and, and teams to show uh, a more personal side to them, something that the sport can never get enough, just to uh, connect and relate to fans and 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 those to to see another side of of our drivers and 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 teams that uh, you know just outside of the the work area or just outside of uh their jobs and so you know not too often do uh drivers and teams get a chance to be at the racetrack where they're you know yeah sure on their off days you know there's always maintenance to be done but in terms of not having a race to worry about and being at the racetrack having that fan fest there for sure adds uh an element to that uh certainly added to the fan experience and to the overall atmosphere. So you have to look at that too. And uh, in terms of uh, checking all the boxes that you would want in a four-day event like the World Finals, uh, in my opinion, it, it, it checked all the boxes. And um, and I hope that they bring it back next year. It's, um, it's obviously – and then also the fans too, or, or just the crowds – on Wednesday and Thursday. I wasn't skeptical but as to what they would look like, but I was curious as to, you know, what the turnout would be on Wednesday and Thursday. And, you know, I thought the crowds all four nights were pretty good. And so, you know, it uh certainly passed uh in my eyes just just what you would want to see in a four day event like the world finals and you know as far as things to work on um not sure there as to what could could be better um uh, but uh you know we didn't get done i think the latest we got done you know feature wise was like 10:45 on that first night so you know when you have that much racing going on and and you don't end you know super late either and i know that they have a curfew over there but um you know still when you're ending on time and, and not, you know, having a super late night, that also uh, adds to the um, experience, too. So, yeah, I hope they bring it back next year and, uh, you know, hope that they can continue to find ways to improve it moving forward.
0: Yeah, and we got a higher car count in the late mo- <clears throat> late models. of a, Nearly the highest car count I've seen in uh, World Finals Kovac because they had a non qualify race for the sprint car, so they, uh, they turned out... There, well, I feel like the crowd was good overall. I I think it's going to be here to stay. Just Robert, what's your uh, opinion on it? You got three headline divisions. You got fans from all the cross sections, kind of checking everything out. And I think it's kind of good for the sport overall for circle, circle track racing. That maybe you start being a fan of the big blocks. Maybe you start being fans of super late models or the sprints.
2: I think it was a cool idea. Then you can, can sit back and relax and kind of see what they're all about. You know, I think it's it's definitely kind of a, a year end a destination event, so to speak, you know, I definitely think that it's on a lot of people's to-do lists. It's on a lot of bucket lists, you know, around the sport, just because it does, you know, if you're in the South, especially, you don't see a lot of wing sprint car action. Uh, you don't see that much in any racetracks that I go to. Uh, you know, you definitely don't see the big block mods, uh, unless you're going to go check them out at Speed Weeks, so, you know, it, to get them all together, I think it definitely makes it a, a destination event. You know, there's there's no beach. There's no mountains. There's Well, you know, obviously the Carolinas are full of mountains. But, you know, you're in a city. Being in a city, that gives you plenty of things to, to go and do uh, either on the night off if you choose to do that or a day ahead of time or stay over a day and, and not come back home until, until Monday it gives you plenty of things to go and check out. Charlotte is a is a you know, it's a really nice town actually. Again, it brings uh, kind of a cross section of fans which is is nice to see and you know, hopefully some of those fans will become late model fans and and hopefully some late model fans will, will be uh, sprint car fans or big block fans because the biggest thing is to me, is products. If you can, if you can get these fans at this level to to buy their products, you know, to get behind a driver, to buy their their swag, their hats, their shirts, you know, to buy products that are are sponsoring them, then I think it grows the sport. And that's what generally speaking, we we all want to see the sport continue to grow. And uh we don't want to see it kind of shrink, so to speak.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh that was a good point there, Robert. Uh Kovac, I know it was a lot of racing there. Saturday, we had full heat races and stuff like that. Other formats, at least in the late model world, you kind of just take your, you know, how many nights, whatever, and then calculate points and maybe lock in a few. Uh maybe that'd be the route to go. Or do you think you have like a different format suggesting that might, you know, help that race out on Saturday? Because there was a lot of racing. They could have, you know, been devastated with the weather if it came any sooner. We could have been SOL there on Saturday night.
1: Yeah, that's that. We really were lucky for the whole week with uh with the weather forecast, with the weather how it kind of came out. Uh, there was a few little bit of there was a few sprinkles the first night on Wednesday. Uh, came I remember to think during the heat races and a couple other times, but nothing that could stop the races and. So temperatures were like in the 70s every day. I think the lowest they went at night was probably low 50s, maybe. You know, like towards the end of a show, that is not World Finals typical, right there. I mean, normally we're we're uh, we're freezing. We're putting on as many sweatshirts and jackets as we can, and uh, long underwear and everything. So uh, that was a nice uh, uh, bonus there for this year's uh, World Finals. But the one thing I I would point out is, I mean, Saturday racing was longer than the show was longer than it has been in the past. Uh, the, the amount of races, because in the past, you always had uh, just the two the two divisions would be running on Saturday. I mean, well, Friday and Saturday, the two divisions, the sprints and the late miles would run heat races uh, and B mains and features. And then the modifieds had already run their heat races on Thursday. So all they had was a couple uh one or two B mains. So there's fewer races in the past than there were this year. And the I, I'm not a big fan of how many races there were on Saturday. I mean, that show started at 3 o'clock with uh, the 1st heat T-Race. There were no t- no hot laps. Good thing. save some more laps on the racetrack. And it ran. The feature ended for the late miles at 920. That's a s- over six-hour show, you know? I mean, that's a, that's a long, long marathon. We always talk about how all these shows are so long. And, and here's one of the biggest racing events of the year, and it's a marathon. Uh, I think it would, I would love to see, and I know there'll be complaints from late model teams and probably sprint car teams, especially because it would change the format for a points race, but you lock in maybe the top 16 or 18 from the points from the first two nights, immediately put them right in there and then just run B mains, uh, for the rest of them. So you have maybe three B mains for the late models, uh, two for the sprints and, and two for the modifieds. Um that's going to greatly reduce the number of races that you have on Saturday. Uh, maybe you can either not start quite as early or you can start a little later and finish still around nine o'clock. Uh, it won't stretch out as long. And you might be able to do a little bit more, you know, pageantry. I mean, they, they got lucky probably because they still did the, the flag deal where they had all the state flags They came out. They still did the three by four wide. They still did a four wide before every feature. Uh, not just the three division four wide, but then they still did the four wides before each feature. So that, and then it starts raining on lap 32 or, you know, right a bit halfway of the of the late model feature. And man, if I would just come out a little bit earlier, you know, I mean, we don't, we're, we're, we're pushing it, you know, like and when you see rain, you're always pushing it. So I would have, I wouldn't, I would like to see just a little bit less racing on Saturday, throw some guys in there. And maybe that would, uh, you know, keep everybody, keep the, the momentum going even more uh, for the Saturday. And, and also it wouldn't make it so long. And once they get to that championship presentation for all the driver, for the champions of the series at the end of the whole show, that's, it's been a pretty long night and maybe the fans don't want to hang out quite as long, even if it wasn't raining this year, like it was, it did start raining right after the last race. So the championship deal was a little messed up, uh, because of that, it was uh, affected by the rain. But still, fans wouldn't even want to. You know, they're they're ready to go after six hours. So that, that, let's do a little. I'd like to see a little bit of change. You know, and maybe the, the the teams and the sprints and the late models would accept it. Uh, you know, <laughs> different format.
0: I say we bring back the banquet on Sunday, Kovac. After four days of racing.
1: Well, that's another thing too uh Derek how about that we are you are you and i we are banquet fans we get we take some uh, some gruff about that don't we uh a lot of times we've always liked going to the banquets and I personally think it's kind of cool to at the end of a year uh to have a banquet some sort of uh celebration of the champion and and the people that did make it all the through the ser- through the whole series and also lets their families come in there and and then they're uh and their sponsors kind of just in a setting that isn't at a racetrack and uh, the pressure of that. And I mean, I, I've always, I mean, from, for, for the last 30 years, that I've gone to race it for, I first went to our uh, a banquet with the dirt modifieds back in the Northeast. I always thought it was a good way to just bring everybody together in a, in a low pressure kind of deal. And, uh, and, and I, and I know that this year, I know there's a lot of teams that always complain drivers and teams. They complain about, having a banquet. And then when the outlaws didn't have a banquet in 2020 because of COVID, a lot of them liked that. Oh, we don't need to have one. So last year they just had a luncheon uh, during the afternoon at a brewery to hand out the awards. And some of them still complained about, you know, I guess they still didn't exactly like that. They would, they would have rather just had something at the racetrack, which was what they were going to do. they were going to do it on the stage after the race, but that's all now dependent on the show, not going too long, not raining like it did. So really, Dennis Erb won the championship, but he didn't really, other than in, on the racetrack after the race, didn't really get a lot of, you know, pageantry. And, and I mean, and I know Dennis, I even asked him about it. He's not the big flashy guy like we've always talked about, but I think he actually said he would have liked. he would have got up to do a speech at a banquet. He would not have minded that. And, uh, in his crew chief, Heather, Heather line, Heather Lynn, she said she liked, she wanted, she was disappointed. There was no banquet. She said she wants to be able to show everybody she can get dressed up and put some makeup on once a year and not just be dirty, dirty clothes rolling around on the ground at the racetrack working on a race car. I would lean to have, hey, outlaws, bring the banquet back. And then Derek and I could attend it and have some fun, too. Right, Derek?
0: Yeah, bring the the banquet back keep James Essex out of the way when Heather, you know, gets dressed up. Cause I, I know he had some nice comments to say back at the Lucas banquet, how, uh, how great yeah. she looked at the, the banquet. So uh, Essex wouldn't be there. So maybe that's why they didn't have it, but nonetheless, yeah, I kind of wish they would have the banquet. Kyle, you went to a lot of new late model races and events. Just one final thought. Where do you rank this as a, like, you know, a super late model event? I know you got other headlines, but it does have a pretty cool atmosphere too. And it's a little bit different than we see at other, you know, quote, crown jewel races.
3: Yeah, actually, somebody asked me that A fan asked me that as I was walking through the pits, they stopped me and knew that I was first year on the beat and asked me my my thoughts of where the world finals kind of uh, stacked up and um, talking about late models and where the late models fall, you know, or just uh, the late model portion of the world finals. I mean, 70 race cars, I mean, 70 cars. You know, I mean there's 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 not too many events in our sport that draw 70 plus race cars other than the Prairie Dirt Classic and um Eldora, right? So in terms of car counts, you know, it's already right up there. And so now that they had added, it, um, you know, increased all the winners shares now too, I mean 25,000. I mean I, I think at first I mean the 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 ten fifteen thousand you know purse aside the the waning car counts through the years. I think last year was what like forty some at the world finals. So um, if you would have asked me that last year, I I would have probably have not really put the world finals maybe in the in the top five. Um, if not, then fringe top five, like right outside the top five. Now, I mean. Mm. I think it's uh, second tier, you know, uh, races in our sport. If not, then it's a fringe tier one, considering the car counts, and uh, you know, just you have guys like Jonathan Davenport and Chris Madden, and, and all the top teams in our sport are there. Big car counts, uh, you know. I mean, how how can you not rank it up there? You know, among the top races in our sport, and so. Um as far as the event on the whole when you include the sprint cars and the big block modifieds um it's my favorite event or one of my favorite events of the year you know just because you you draw you know as we all know um you know three of of dirt racing's premier divisions and and three of of uh you know the best drivers and in, in their respective disciplines drivers and teams you know they all converge and so you know there's no other event like that, obviously, so it uh ranks right up there for sure and uh I agree with Kevin about the you know trying to shorten up the Saturday day night format, try to keep it at four four and a half hours, so if you eliminate the the heats, I mean that's probably forty ish minutes right, or an hour plus you know, so that would probably get you down to where you would like to be in terms of time frame, so it's uh a big event and hopefully they can add to it next year. And hopefully they have pound cake in the press box for dessert, right? Pound cake and maybe some uh marble cake too, you know, try to expand the the repertoire there. They had pound cake two nights, right? So we would have to maybe hope that they uh, you know, add a little bit to the <laughs> assortment of of treats. So I love that
1: Robert pound cake. I saw yeah. that one, right? Man, he had the had the raspberries, the, the or whatever cool was whip. on it, and he had the, the you know the whipped cool cream. Whip. He never and, had man, cool whip before. He never man, had that cool was, whip before. That cool. Never had cool. See, we're really—he's really expanding out uh, his everything this year. Look at you know, I mean, he's he's getting a lot of new things this year, right, Kyle? I like man, he—he's. Exactly. I loved it. It looks like I looks good. It looks good as soon as I walked into the media room, and he had that That's little dessert. That was nice. Exactly.
0: Yeah, Robert, he didn't know what Pound Cake was uh, before the weekend, and then afterwards I think he's a huge number one fan make, for the thing. He loves that dessert.
3: I don't know who told you that, but whoever did, Pound Cake's it's good. It's all right.
0: It's okay. Robert, you weren't there to enjoy the Pound Cake, unfortunately. You were over at Duck River, and before we get like going with our topic there, but this is kind of leading into it, just how wild was that crash um, this past weekend with Scott Cook? He was up right up there up front. And leaving the ballpark It's a good story. Go check it out at dirt on dirt.com. Uh, we see it a few times that we're going to go into more detail in it, but that was pretty significant crash there.
2: First of all, I do wish that I'd, I'd known we were going to have like all, all of this world finals talk because I would have gone and finished my laundry and then just, come back and listen to you guys, like, tomorrow or Wednesday or Thursday when I usually go and, and listen to the whole thing all, all at one because it's excellent uh, perspectives from you guys. But I wasn't at, at Charlotte. In fact, I've never even been to the World Finals. Uh, so uh, so I could have – I had some laundry I needed to finish. Uh, dang it. But uh, anyway, we're, we're, if you guys – I'm listening to you guys complain about six hours of three great divisions. You could have been at Duck River for nine hours of 27 bad divisions. Duck River, my home track. I love the racetrack. Friday, I get to Duck River for the the opening of the uh, Deep Fried 75. I get there at 6.30, and I get home at 11.45. I don't know what kind of math that is, like four hours and 15 minutes. Not bad. Saturday. I get to Duck River at 3 o'clock for the finale. I'm sorry, not Saturday, because Saturday was rained out. But Sunday, I get to Duck River at 3 o'clock for the finale, the $10,000 to win finale, which uh, Garrett Alberson won. And I got home at 1045. So granted, it was a lot had to do with the weather, a lot had to do with rain delay and and stuff like that. But it was a long day at Duck River. In fact, when I left... The six hundred four, the Crate Division, had not even taken the track yet. They hadn't even raced their feature, and I still didn't get home till eleven forty-five. And I lived uh, thirty-five minutes away, so it was a long day at Duck River on Sunday as well for a lot of people. It was muddy. It was it was it was uh, ice bowl muddy. If, if if anybody has ever been to the ice bowl on some of those bad occasions uh, at Talladega Short Track, it was wet. Um, kudos to them for getting the show in. Uh, kudos for uh, the track management and uh, Chris Tilly from uh, the Valvoline Ironman series for sticking with it and making sure that the uh, you know, the 20 plus super late model teams got what they came for. And, and that's a $10,000 to win race because it was the conditions were not favorable. It took them a long time to run the track in, and then the track still, even after all the prelims, even after um, uh, a feature and all these heat races for these cars and stuff. The track, by the time they ran the 45 lap feature for super late models, honestly, it still wasn't ran in. It wasn't as wide as you'd you'd hoped for. And it still was slimy in a lot of spots. And you had a lot of drivers after the fact complain about that. And that's one of the things that kind of led to um the Scott Cook's wreck that where he did leave the ballpark. Uh, Just the the weather and the conditions and, and everything combined, the speeds that they were running. At one point, Garrett Alberson turned a, a, a lap during the feature that was only like three tenths off the track record. Uh, that's fast when you're on a little tight racetrack like that, a little bull ring, when you're turning that kind of laps during the feature. Uh, it makes it hard to pass. There was some passing. There was some some too wide action, you know, uh, back in the pack. But pretty much it was uh, – it wasn't what kind of you're used to or what you hope for at Duck River. And and Mother Nature is to blame for that. You know, a shower came through at like two – I was sitting at home, actually, and looked at the radar, and I saw that they were probably going to get the show in because there was nothing behind the rain but i'm looking at the radar and looking at the track on the radar i'm like it is raining right now at the track so there's no need for me to leave yet and so i waited to that shower pass through hoping that it wasn't much and when i got to the track and asked someone they're like man it just came a hell of a rain here you know we just had 30 minutes of a lot of rain and you could tell you know i I fortunately turned around. Uh, I walked to my car to get in to leave to go to the track and turn around. Went back in and got my old shoes because I'm like, man, ah, I'm I'm gonna need these. Even though I was carrying, I was wearing shoes that I usually wear at the racetrack. I went back in and got my old shoes, and uh, and man, it was it was pretty bad. Uh, they're still in the trunk of my car actually because I, I changed before I came back home. So the conditions, man, made it contributed to Scott Cook's wreck for sure you know, easily. And and we've all seen bad wrecks and we've all seen people. I don't know if we've all seen people, his car disappeared by the way, and it was gone. Uh, And and we've all seen stuff like that happen and covering the sport throughout the years, uh, which is what we're going to talk about in in a little more depth coming up here. But, uh, but definitely for, for this particular wreck, it was the weather that played a factor into it.
0: Yeah. And Kovac, that's kind of what we're going to talk about, that nasty wreck at Duck Riffer just kind of, you know, um, just kind of makes you think like, man, that's pretty wild when you see a late model, you know, go out of the ballpark. Obviously, we've seen midgets, and so I've seen crazy ones at Terre Haute, which we might get into more detail, but it doesn't happen too much in super late models. And when you see a nasty crash like that, you make you, it makes you think like, wow, man, that's wild. That's wild shit right there. Uh Probably the one of the most famous late model uh, out of the ballparks happened Evolution. I think that was the one you were going to kind of mention here in more detail, maybe some others that come to mind.
1: Well, yeah, I was there in 2005 Speed Weeks uh, when Tim Senek from West Virginia, man, he, he was driving a rocket car and it became a rocket because it left the ballpark. I think our man, the legendary Steve Gigas, has video of this. Probably can still find it on YouTube somewhere. Uh, and and Senek was just – it was – that was back with Volusia. Didn't have like the higher wall there. I mean, they, they've the three and four. Uh, I think it was maybe a, a two rail guardrail then. And then there was so much mud and dirt piled up against it. There was barely any wall. I mean, I think like a little bit like uh, uh, Robert uh, wrote about with uh, the Scott Cook wreck at Duck River. I and mean, there's not much. There's so much dirt. There's not a, not much guardrail left. So it, be, it became like a ramp. Senec just went over there and ramped that thing up. And I just looked up. I was sta- I was sitting in the i was in the tower i believe for that time i looked over and he just went flying up into the air uh didn't didn't flip you know in front of it you didn't see him flip because he just left the ballpark and went down there was no billboards over there there wasn't wasn't much of an access road then at that, that point either and he just dove down there was a hill there was woods kind of some uh you know brush back there and he and uh and he dove down there. Starts rolling down the hill towards uh, which was still the third mile asphalt track, which was just beyond uh, the third and fourth turns of of the dirt track. And the big block modifieds were parked back there. And, uh, and when Sennick went down, he rolls down the hill, g- trees, branches, and he went through a chain link fence back there. And he lands up upside down, like way away from the racetrack, almost where the late, uh, big blocks were pitted. Uh, Remember he uh, he said he undid his belts and kind of fell. He should have done that that quickly. And he made it a little bit tougher for him to get out. Uh, And he was all right. But man, there was like all kinds of, he remember him looking, he said he looked back at where he came from and it was just a line of destruction. You know, you could see where the car had rolled down the hill and and he said that one of the crew, uh, one of the uh, track workers said that uh, he had done more damage to the racetrack than the hurricane that had come through the the previous summer so that was one heck of a wild flip uh, a wild crash I mean it wasn't he didn't flip until he went down the hill <laughs> he, he was all right by the way too his car was pretty yeah. damaged but he was okay we have
0: the great clip I think by Steve Giggis I think if you go to YouTube and type in Tim Sinek crash Volusia it'll pop right up and it's a pretty nasty one with that you know that fence before they had the catch fence there in three and 40 and just flying out of the ballpark yeah
1: yeah I went down there to check it out you know like because you could get real close to it I can totally remember being there in that car laying upside down and and the, really there were kind of like all officials were like the safety team were like, how do we even get this thing out of here? You know, I mean, I'm not sure if they took it out of there immediately or if they went right back to racing or what. That's a while, you know, it's obviously 17 years ago. Uh, but he was really down deep into the woods there. And man, he was uh, just one uh, when everybody was like amazed by like, man, this is th- thankful he's okay. Yeah, that was uh
0: that was a that was a nasty one and a famous, you know, dirt track as well that everybody will all talk about. Uh Kyle, you had a pretty uh, nasty one too with the uh being in attendance with the Bernheisel one. Just what was your perspective on that? That was a that was a scary one indeed.
3: Yeah, I haven't seen any super late models or late models in general leave the ballpark. Um as Robert had witnessed this past weekend and as Kevin just detailed there, but, uh, the nastiest wreck that I have ever seen late model wise was definitely Brian Bernheisel last summer at, um, Williams Grove. I mean, I mean, he, that he, uh, I, I have never, I've seen sprint cars flip horrifically, but I, I, I don't think I'd really ever seen anything more, uh, just vicious, um, really ever. I don't think then the Bernheisel flip last year and he uh, hurt his back and, and he was out for quite a while. And uh, thankfully it wasn't anything more than that. And, you know, now he's uh, even turned the flip last year and in, into some t-shirts I saw uh, walking the pits at Charlotte. They had some uh, outside his race trailer. They had the t-shirts lined up and with the car flipping, uh, or with the graphic of the of the car flipping um, on the back of the t shirt, saying "flipping the script," and so a little bit of marketing there that they are leveraging off of uh, the flip. But uh, but no, I mean that was uh, that's that's the the nastiest wreck that I can think of, um, you know, witnessing um, on the lay models. But um, you know, I've seen sprint cars leave the ballpark uh multiple times. That's obviously not a uh a rare occurrence for uh wing sprint cars. Fortunately, I haven't seen the uh the the clip of what happened at Duck River or even what um you know Kevin had just described either. And so these cars are uh obviously you know safer now more than ever before and I would imagine you know, flipping or leaving the ballpark is obviously never fun, but I would if I had to choose between, you know, flipping in a late model and or flipping in a midget car or a sprint car, obviously, you know, you would rather be, be uh, taking the ride uh, in a late model. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's the only that's the only um, really vicious wreck that I can think of was uh, the Bernheisel flip last um summer and you know parts were flying off the car and you know all four wheels were were dislo or not like dislodged entirely but they were dangling off the race car and the car was pretty messed up um on on the back stretch there of Williams Grove. But um yeah, it's uh and also too, I mean thinking back to, you know, as Robert mentioned, you know, his his wreck that he had a uh, witnessed uh you know, track track conditions have uh, a a large part too, obviously, to play. And um, if I can recall, that night at Williams Grove last year was um, you know, track was was pretty fast too. So, um, hopefully we don't uh, see too many of those else moving forward. Um, you know, because they're certainly uh, they certainly take your breath away once you once you witness it.
0: Robert, you saw that one firsthand just because of track conditions. Um, It's very unfortunate when you have something like that where, you know, people, uh, something like that is out of their hands and then just get caught up on it, kind of like what happened last Saturday. But is there any other ones other than that one that you got to see live and most recently that, you know, comes to mind?
2: Uh, You know, first I'll just kind of hit on the Duck duck River one, uh, Derek, with the weather for sure played a part, and at first – when i when i spoke with josh putnam he thought that uh that he might have that they may have touched but if you go back and watch that video closely i don't think that they ever touched it was a matter of scott cook shooting a gap there he was going so much faster had he tried had scott cook tried to get down the track he would have just destroyed uh josh putnam's car because he was going that much faster in fact josh putnam said he's like i think he was going 50 miles per hour faster than me so he tries to shoot that gap and when he does there's just not quite enough room there and the back of his car grabs the fence and kind of kind of the cushion and it turns him back into the fence and then he just climbs the wall and at that point you know what good's hitting your brakes going to do you're going to hit your brakes but when your wheels aren't touching anything you know what what good's what good are brakes on an airplane you know it's it's not really it's not really going to do much so at that point, he's kind of along for the ride and he just he kind of goes through the fence. So, track conditions, speed, um, everything had a lot to do with the Duck River race. Uh, the same as in 2001, I was at East Bay and it was very much the same thing as far as track conditions. Uh, during a non qualifiers race, it was really a rough racetrack. They'd had a lot of rain throughout the week. In fact, I think they had a lot of tore up race cars, but. Uh, but I'm watching a non-qualifiers race at East Bay in 01 and Jeep Van Wormer catches a rut, gets up on his side, gets kind of, kind of nosed around, turned backwards. He goes through the wooden fence and, you know, I'd been there all week. I didn't even realize the the walls at East Bay at that time were plywood, that they were wood, you know, and it was like, it was like uh, signs that advertise, you know, you can buy advertisement on there. And as they had it painted and stuff and, he goes backwards through it and he's like hanging through the wood, through the plywood backwards. And uh, so that was a a definitely a wild ride um, for sure for, for Jeep Van Wormer. And uh, before they, before they shortened the track at Fort Payne, I was there in uh, the early nineties and Randall Chup took a wild ride, which there was no wall around that track. It was just a massive, almost half mile speed plant with long straightaways and almost like paperclip turns. And and Randall Chup went off the end of turn one and didn't stop till he was down somewhere in the woods. I can't remember if he got upside down or not, but uh, but Chup took a wild ride. And you see cars leaving the track all the time at these places with no walls. A lot of times they'll slide off, run back on, you know everybody probably remembers you know Hudson O'Neill kind of shooting off the track at Batesville and hitting the hitting that big uh Uke tire and getting airborne so i mean it happens when there's no walls and people are kind of on the edge uh but to see one get up the banking leave the track go through a catch fence i mean Scott Cook at Duck River he disappeared and it was if you haven't watched the shot it's only like 18 seconds if you haven't watched it shame on you kyle mcfadden uh but if you haven't watched it it is pretty spectacular because i was watching it and it seemed like it happened in slow motion to me because i don't know why i just happened to be watching uh josh putnam at the time and all of a sudden here comes scott cook flying by him so i just i watched every bit of it and then the the videographer rolls of walks over he's like that's gonna you know look good on on you know journal dirt, dirt i'm like did you did you get it and he's like yes and i'm like y- great i mean to, to there's video of it you know i'm not i'm not just having to describe it for people there is that people can actually go watch it and see this spectacular crash the one thing they don't see however that we don't get a long spot of is in the background you can see the lights kind of shining through the steam and smoke and everything of 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 the crash. And then Scott Cook walks back up the hill wearing his uniform, of course, and his helmet still on. And he's he walks back up the hill and he's in this light in the background and steam and smoke in the background. And he's standing there, it's almost like a movie where like an alien comes out of a spacecraft and walks back up the hill. And he's standing there in the crowd, you know, cheers. He's okay, you know, it was, it was really spectacular and and the fact that he's okay except for kind of a dinged up arm or shoulder or whatever is is amazing and and we're so thankful that that a racer did not get hurt in that situation so uh safety like like uh, uh Kyle did mention is is at the forefront here and hopefully these drivers are wearing their hans devices and the and these manufacturers are making their cars better i will say that scott cook uh did give a shout out to Rocket Chassis for building a good strong safe race car and that's uh that's so key nowadays if you're going to climb in one of these things and and because every every one of these drivers know that it could happen i hope they know that it could happen to you on any any given day and like cook said he was having fun right up until that moment so even though it was fast even though it was a kind of a different tricky racetrack, track he was still having fun until that happened
0: yeah that is uh, no doubt about that. Uh, Kovac, I know we've talked about some late model ones. I just remember one at uh, Belclair. I can't remember the driver. Drove through the warden wall. The funny thing is the guy was okay, with. the best part was the whole crew at Belclair, you know, in Illinois, RIP, it's closed right now. The crews fixed up and buttoned up the fence in like 10 minutes. They must have practiced, it, practiced this weekly or had it happen a lot. We got to go racing like 20 minutes later. So that was uh, pretty cool seeing a guy drive through the warden, through the wood break the wood and then have the crew and uh stuff like that at Belclair fixing the fence in 20 minutes we went back racing that's one that other, another one that stands out is there a couple more maybe in modified or sprint cars that you know that that people would like to hear at home
1: I think I, I for some reason I got a bunch of these uh out of the ballpark wrecks over the years uh in all kinds of divisions some of them i've I was there for some of them I wasn't I just seen like one late model one got, oh, that's a pretty famous one. Uh, was Tim hit back in 19, I think it was 97, 98, in, in the late 90s there at Cherokee Speedway. Uh, he was in the Rocket House car, but it was the number 68 back then. And I remember Mark Richards always says, like, he, he told him, hey, you got to stay on the gas here. And and so uh, Tim hit stayed on the gas, you know, and he goes over the wall in turn one, ended up like, you know, back <laughs> way off the racetrack and you told Mark, hey, I didn't lift and, and see what happened. You see what happened. He was out of the ballpark. But that's another one where you can find pictures of that one. Uh, but my, uh, and all these other divisions, I mean, I, I mean, I I start back in I'm, – I'm, let me start back like right from uh, like in a little chronological order. One of the – I was only gone to a race pile. I hadn't been to 10 races in my life. I was 10 years old, 1983 at Flemington Speedway in New Jersey, which was known as Flippington. Because there was a wooden fence that everybody, mod- big block modifieds would always catch and start just flipping uh, left and right. It was a square-shaped track, so you were almost always in a turn. But one, this is a young 10-year-old me uh, just starting to go to races, and I see this dollar sign car. I had a dollar sign on the side I called him his name. I remember the guy's name, Bill Dubovic. He starts flipping in turn number between turns one and two. And the track, luckily, the bleachers were a little bit, you know, they sat back. There was a little bit of a grassy area, and then the bleachers were – you had to walk up a little ramp to get up to the first row and stuff. And this race car comes over the wall and lands with its nose on the front walkway of the stand. So I was like, man, this – glad we weren't in that section, and uh, does this happen every week here? Because um, I hadn't – again, I hadn't been in many races yet, but I can always remember that one. And then. There was – I also seen Kenny Jacobs in the Weicker Sprint car. He flipped out of the ballpark at Eldora Spew. I think it was 1990 during the Kings Royal. Man, and there wasn't as much – it was outside of turns one and two. There wasn't as – it wasn't as built up with stands and stuff over there at that point. There certainly wasn't a, a scoreboard with the big video screen, which I'm not, I'm not sure. It might have been damn close. To hitting that thing, you know, if it, if that was the case now, without a catch fence over there, wasn't even a catch fence back then. uh He went down the hill flipping. There was there was fire, and probably uh, ask Kendra Jacobs there, Derek, uh, about that one about her dad flipping out of the ballpark like that, and she'll, uh, you know, I mean, she she probably might have a story on that, and uh, a few other that I didn't see. But I well one actually one I did see was this was an out of the ballpark into the ballpark if you want to say with Jeff Shepard with a sprint car at Hagerstown Speedway I think I might have mentioned this before on a podcast but he flipped into the pit pit area in the middle of the backstretch went right over porta johns that were parked I mean not parked but but situated right against the backstretch guardrail which I have no idea why go- porta johns were by a guardrail like that I would not go in it but there was a guy that came out of the porta john after Jeff Shepard flipped over it and kind of didn't know what was happening because he got hit by some debris while he was in the port of John. john uh, And I, I want to just mention one of the wildest out-of-the-ballpark uh, deals that I've ever heard of. Uh, this was in a micro-sprint at Georgetown Speedway. This was probably back in like the early 2000s, late 90s. I wasn't there for this one, but I've heard it. It was a female driver, Becca Anderson. She was a really good URC sprint car driver uh, from down in the the Delaware, uh, in central Delaware. She lived and she uh, was, I'm I'm positive it was a micro sprint. And for some, some reason, I think she lost the steering. The car goes off the track in turn one. There's no wall there. It goes through like a fencing or whatever was over in that area there. And there's a highway 113, a four lane highway is right on the other side of turns one and two at Georgetown. Well, Becca's car just kept going. It kept rolling and went across all four lanes of the highway. And she ended up on the other side of the highway in the trees. So, I mean, you can imagine there was cars going by. It's a busy, pretty, pretty, pretty busy highway. And this race car comes flying across the racetrack in front of people that were, I mean, fortunately she wasn't hit by anybody that, uh, was on the highway at that point, but I don't think there can be many times that a race car has gone across a four lane highway in a crash, you know, any type of race car. And I, I just thought, I always remember that as a pretty, uh, wild, uh, out of the ballpark, uh, situation at a dirt track that I, uh, uh, that I can, that I read about or not quite, I wish you, I mean, I wasn't there, but it, it was, it happened. So it was pretty wild. Yeah,
0: plenty of. Wild crashes out of the ballparks. We've seen even cars try to go through the, go out of the ballpark, but there's a wall there, and they won't be able to successfully do that. Um. Well, guys, I loved hearing your stories of you know all the crashes we've seen throughout the years, and just hope that we have less and less of them because it is scary and is dangerous. But we find out at the same time they're okay, then they're pretty cool to watch. So, uh, thank you for that. I guess for the drivers at home that uh, go out of the ballpark. No, I'm just kidding there. Um, so we finished the show with finished the show with one more thing. You know what? I'm feeling frisky today. Robert, how about you, man?
2: I'll let you go first. Uh condolences to um the family of Marvin Ford, uh, who owned uh Fort Payne, Alabama Speedway. Um, Marvin Ford passed away uh this past weekend, uh maybe Saturday. Um he had uh he was in his early seventies, uh then this Gentleman also at one time ran uh, Gadsden or, or ran a racetrack there in Gadsden, Alabama. And uh, he also was the uh, UCRA, the Crate Late Model Series there, the kind of a regional tour there that um, that um, ran in, in our area. He was the founder of that. So, uh, condolences to his family. It's Green Valley Speedway is, is in Gadsden. He was a, a flag. Flag went at Dixie Speedway back years ago, uh, just kind of um, uh, been a fixture in the sport there in uh, Alabama and Georgia area for for a long time. So, uh, condolences to the family of of Marvin Ford. Yeah, sad news when we hear somebody in our in our sporting world, you know,
0: pass on and we're thinking of them, thinking of them and him and his family. Um, my one more thing is going to be don't forget this weekend the Peach State Classic. Uh, twenty grand I believe on Friday and fifty three on Saturday, both points nights. Uh, Brandon Shepard's looking to lock up the championship. He went to every race, so he'll get that seventy five thousand dollar bonus. We got a big races out in Las Vegas, so a lot of money still up for grabs in the late model world. You can double up your money out in Las Vegas, but Peach State Classic live at Flow Racing. The field shaping up to be a good one at a track that a lot of people love in sonoya raceway down there in georgia so be sure to check it out if you can't be there you can watch it live at uh, flow racing we'll have plenty of content and coverage as well at dirt dirt.com kyle what do you got
3: yeah i was uh talking with parker price Miller, the sprint car driver um well currently a uh sprint car driver but he'll be uh has 30 races maybe more planned for next year so uh gonna be interesting to to see uh doesn't have a, a a sprint car ride at the moment but obviously he's a sprint car racer at heart but i was talking with him and uh Parker is uh fixing to to put together a, a pretty formidable late model program uh with the help of longhorn chassis and uh matt langston and uh even um Tim McCready is also lending a hand there too with uh parker so we'll see there the ceiling there for him. I mean, could be, uh, could find himself, uh, don't want to say full time in a late model, but I mean, 30, 35 races. I mean, that's certainly quite a bit. So, um, showed some speed at Charlotte this past weekend. And, uh, that's, uh, my one more thing to uh, look for. It's always good to to add talented drivers in our sport. Right. And so, uh, it's good to see uh, a guy like Parker stepping out and, uh, getting more than just dabbling in a late model it seems so look look for that here uh next year yeah he
0: had that horrific crash there at um that hurt his back he told me yeah he was playing on running a lot more so that'd be great to see uh i know he wants to get a better crack at it. he kind of got the short short end of the stick there at the world finals you know with the you know the mechanical issues and stuff like that he had a good qualifying lap so let's see if he can uh you know, get better next year throughout the season. Rob Kovac, finish it. I almost uh, said Robert.
1: Just going to give you a little bit of humor here to end. I think uh, one of the funniest things I saw at the world finals was after the races were over on Saturday night, uh, I was walking back up the hill from the lower pits to the media tent, uh, you know, in the backstretch pit area, uh, as it was raining too. And I look over and there's shuttle buses, the big school buses that, uh, run that Charlotte runs to like shuttle everyone around the fans around back to from the back stretch to the front stretch grandstands and I look over and I see this guy I I I saw was basically this big nose piece of a late model just kind of bouncing around in the road there moving and looking around and then I noticed there it was this guy was carrying a nose piece from Tanner English's wrecked car earlier from the heat race. It was, he had gotten to take that home. I guess he was very excited about it and he was going to get it home by God. And he drove, walked it in the shuttle buses waiting to take him back to the parking lot. And he tries, so he walks around the side and then he tries. a nose piece is pretty big. It's not, I mean, this was the entire nose. It wasn't just like a fender he had the entire nose. He's trying to shove this, get this thing into the bus door on the side so that he could get it there and, and, and not have to carry it all the way back to his car. And I mean, I, I guess he did. I'm not, I, I mean, I didn't watch it for, I watched him for a little bit and it was still sticking out the door. I mean, cause it's big. I mean, I think he couldn't make the turn in there. And so I don't know exactly what he did finally. I mean, I it was raining, so I wasn't going to keep watching, but it was just very – it was entertaining seeing a guy try to get a nose piece into the shuttle bus. So, you know, whoever that was, hope he made it. Hope he got that thing home. So, uh, I mean, I don't know what – he. hope he had a truck, too, to take that home. Good effort. I don't think he was fitting it in a little car. Uh, so, uh I hope he has it now on display at his house. Race fans are crazy when it
0: comes to memorabilia. <laughs> Me and Kovac saw somebody the first night afterwards trying to cut down banners. We saw oh, another yeah. three nights of racing. So, Fans, we're glad that you like to get those memorabilia and uh, get autographs on them. But please wait until the event's over with. Come on, now. We saw three
1: more yeah, nights. It, it tried to be sneaky there. I remember seeing that. Like one night. Yeah, especially. Charlie, the night there's the a light on in running. every single
0: place in the facility. Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> light everywhere. Like you're not going to get caught. It's not a lot different than other places, you know, throughout where we uh, go in the nation. All right. Well, guys, thank you for this episode. It was uh, awesome to hear our different crashes and recap, you know, the world finals and the format out there uh, this week. At the Peach State Classic, Kovacs headed out to Vegas for the finale there in the desert. Um, All points in between. Make sure you check out all the content pieces these three guys write every single week and blogs and stuff like that. And uh, be sure to check out some racing on Flow as well. We'll be live at uh, several places this weekend. And uh, check out the highlights at DirtOnDirt.com, all points in between. This is the Dirt Reporters. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.